0: It is that time. Hello, everybody. Come on in the room. Come on in the room. Thank you all so much for your love, um, your support. My beautiful wife and I, eight years under our belt. Feel official, huh? <laughs> eight years under my belt and under my wife's belt. She truly is more than what I pray for, more than what I ask God for. And I believe my wife is just a witness. That if you pray, see, ladies watching this, I want you to know, the very man that you're crying about, there's a man somewhere else praying for you. There's a man praying for you somewhere. So thank you all for all your anniversary love, all your support, all the comments. I think tonight is going to be amazing. Go ahead and get your screenshot. Drop drop a comment in the room once again. Let us know where you're from and how this Tribe Me series is blessing you. I have so much to share with you. I'm not going to be long, but I'm going to be strong. So I hope y'all are ready. Let's hit up Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. We're going to read just a few passages of Scripture. Daniel chapter 6. We're going to launch our reading at verse 10. Now, the background of this story, um, Daniel had some haters. They couldn't stand Daniel because he had an excellent spirit, and the king wanted to put Daniel over everything, and they recognized the only way we're ever going to trap up Daniel Is if we could find out some way to cause him to go against the king, and the only way we're going to do that is it got to be something about his God. So, they was like, okay, king, why don't you have this decree um, made to where can't nobody pray to anybody else? And this is where we're coming in on this story. Verse 10. It says, now when Daniel knew that the written, the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying. That's something right there. If you're going to find me doing something, the only thing you can catch me doing is praying. (laughs) They assembled And found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, (laughs) that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, sidebar, Judah means praise, that Daniel who has a praise that can't be stopped, I don't have time to bother that, that Daniel who is captive from Judah does not show due regard for you, O king. Or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Our clause of concern and where we're going to part for the time that we have together on tonight is during the halfway mark of verse 10. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Father, bless this moment. We are in expectation of what you're going to say to your people, oh God. We are expecting, O oh God, for you to give us a now word. Search, search the heart and the crevices of our heart, O oh God, where if there's any place in our heart that's not like you, purge it out, flush it out, where we could be the representatives that you called us to be. And anoint my lips, oh God, to be the soundtrack, the PA system of heaven, which is my usual request in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that prayer, would just say amen? Amen. Now listen, um, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I believe tonight is going to be absolutely awesome. Like, I need you. To invite somebody, go ahead and tag somebody, tag your homie, tag your homegirl, send them the link. Hey, you got to check this out because out of all the segments in this Try Me series, I believe part 24 is the most dangerous. I believe tonight is the most dangerous because there is nothing more powerful in the earth and there is nothing more threatening to hell than when men worship. Please listen to what I just said. There is nothing more powerful in the earth and nothing that is of massive threat to hell like when men worship. There's nothing feminine about it. There's nothing weak about it. There's nothing sissy-like about it. There's nothing suspect about it. In fact, one of the most masculine things a man could do is worship. One of the most masculine things a man could do is pray. Because a prayer life reveals humility and prayerlessness reveals arrogance. If you want to know if a man is humble, is if he has a prayer life. When a man has a prayer life, this brother is saying, God, I can't do this without you. I'm lost without you. I need your guidance. I need your instruction. I need you to be my compass, oh God. I need you to be my shepherd. I need you to lead me beside still waters. What decision should I make over this? What decision should I make over my family? How should I best father my son? How should I best father my daughter? A kingdom man is one who recognizes, I need the Lord to intervene because without you, I'm going to mess up. Prayer, a prayer life reveals humility, but the man who doesn't pray, anytime you meet a man who's arrogant, he does not have a prayer life. (laughs) Prayerlessness reveals arrogance. This is the man that says, I don't need this. I got this. God, I don't need your advice. I don't need your counsel. I don't need your wisdom. I don't need your instruction. I make my own decisions. I do my own thing. It's arrogance. And one of the most masculine things a man could do is worship. Please hear me. You think your muscle car is impressive. (laughs) <laughs> you, you think your muscle car is impressive, you think your biceps are impressive, you think your career is impressive, you think all your degrees are impressive because you got more degrees than a thermostat, you think all your accolades are impressive, you think because you got a large following on social media that you're impressive, you think your bank account is impressive, yeah, maybe to a silly woman, okay, all right, we're going to get in trouble, how long have i have been up here, four minutes? <laughs> we already going in four minutes. Yeah. It might be impressive to a semi a silly woman. No, but it's not impressive to a woman of character. Uh-uh. Not impressive to a woman of distinction. No, sir. Not impressive to a woman of value. Nope. Not oppressive, impressive to a woman of royalty. Not impressive to a woman who has standards. Not impressive to a woman who knows she's a daughter of the king. Not impressive to a woman who's appointed and anointed. Don't run up on me. I promise you don't want it. It's not impressive to a woman of God. See, because for a foolish, a foolish woman, she's impressed by what a man drives. But a wise woman is impressed by what drives him. Did y'all hear what I just said? <laughs> a foolish woman is impressed by what a man drives. But a wise woman is impressed by what drives him. And a man who knows how to worship, he knows how to cover his family. A man who knows how to worship breaks the attempted yoke. Emphasis on attempted. Because there are some things the enemy wants to attempt to put on your household, to attempt to put on your children, to attempt to put on your mind, to attempt to put on your esteem. But when you have a kingdom man there, I feel myself getting happy. When you have a kingdom man there, the very strategies of the enemy, they don't even succeed because he breaks the attempted yoke. So you got to understand this worship is the DNA of the kingdom man. Worship is the fingerprints of the D- of the kingdom man. Worship is the litmus test which confirms that this man's heart has been grasped by the king of glory. It is evidence that I need the Lord and you might be saying, "Okay, Jay, why are we talking about this?" I just firmly believe we have too much messages. We have too many messages And there's so much content and information about her waiting to be found. You heard that sermon before. There's so much content about her being a Proverbs 31 woman. We've heard that sermon before too. There's so much content about waiting for your Boaz. We heard so much content about that. You heard that sermon before. There's so much information and intel about her being a Ruth woman, but we don't talk about him being a Boaz man, a Joshua type man, a kingdom man. And I'm just fully convinced that we need to have a conversation about the power of king to men. So for part 24 for part 24 of this Try Me series I would like to speak from this thought around this subject for the time that we have together on tonight when men worship when men worship. Please hear me. This is so needed this is so needed and this is so necessary because the only way we can't expect to change the world Without first having changed men. Did you hear what I just said? We can't expect to change the world until we have changed men. And I know this isn't a popular message because it doesn't activate your emotionalism. I know this isn't a popular message because it's not going to cause a lot of people to give money. Isn't that crazy that people actually preach to get money? I know this isn't a popular message because it's not Father's Day, but God didn't make Jerry to be popular. I'm not called to be popular. I'm called to be effective. I'm called to be effective, and if there's an issue amongst my generation, it's something that we have to talk about. We can't expect to change the world until we first have changed men. Oh, heaven needs, and how hell fears, a man who has had a collision course encounter with the gospel. See, we mentioned this, and we got to talk about it again. I know I'm not the only one who sees a famine of kingdom men. I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one who has witnessed how fatherlessness is plaguing a generation. I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one who sees a sister with the man (laughs) who sees a sister with the man who could touch all over her body, but then she can't touch his phone where they do that at, though? First of all, you're not supposed to be touching all over her body, but how is it that you could touch all over her body, but then she can't touch your phone, and then you call her insecure? You don't have to hide what you're not doing, bruh. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be good tonight. I hope you sent that link. Yeah, you don't have to hide what you're not doing, bruh. I don't understand. How is it that you won't play head games, then get upset at her response, and make that the main subject versus your immaturity? I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one who has witnessed a sister with a man who has no car, but yet he's driving her crazy. Where they do that at, though? (laughs) I know I'm not the only one who has witnessed this, like, false sense of macho masculinity that has men arrested and unable to express themselves. So, when we go through, or when something hurts, we don't say anything. We shut down. See, and and we, we have to talk about this because something dangerous has happened to our men. Something dangerous has happened to our men and it happened, you guessed it, in childhood. I believe it was unintentional, but for a lot of men, we were taught to not express. Don't express yourself. We were taught to not express. What are you crying for? Shut up. I know you're not crying. Why you got tears running by, down your face and somebody hits you? Come on, man. You always crying. You acting like a sissy. Why you always crying? You crying again? You acting like a little girl, a little girl. You acting like a little girl, but girls become women. And I don't think that the issue is women being able to express. And I don't think the issue that we're seeing is women who don't know how to worship. Because worship is an expression of worth worship is an expression of worthship now this is a massive dangerous problem because men are supposed to express the heart of god we are the point of reference to god do y'all hear what i'm saying we are the point of reference to God. Before your daughter ever knows a heavenly father, she first will be introduced to her natural father, either by his presence or by his absence. Before your son is ever introduced to a heavenly father, he first will be introduced to his natural father, either by his presence or by his absence. Because you are the point of reference. You are the point of reference to God. And this is so dangerous, I need you all to hear me. Because men, we're supposed to express the heart of God, and we give identity. God has wired for men to be identity givers. I'm going to show you this. Let's look at the text. Let's look at the text. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. Look at this. It says, out of the ground... The Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam. Somebody say man. He brought them to Adam. Eve is not even on the scene yet. Okay. Sidebar. Before God ever gave a woman to Adam, he gave him a job, a legal one. Leave that alone. Okay. And he brought them to Adam. To see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. What do we see here in the text? We see Adam handing out identity. God, this is so good. We see Adam handing out identity. What do men do? We hand out identity. What do fathers do? We hand out identity. So could you just imagine... Could you just imagine how detrimental it is for the house infrastructure if our identity giver is in identity crisis? God, please listen. Could you just imagine how hurtful it is? No wonder our school systems look the way they do. No wonder our community looks the way it does. No wonder society looks the way it does. No wonder our houses look the way they do. No wonder the church looks the way it does. It's because the identity giver is an identity crisis. And let's go even deeper. What if the identity giver is not even there? So now, we either have an identity giver who is an identity crisis or the identity giver is absent. And anytime we're absent or we're an identity crisis, we will always position our family to engage in identity theft. <sighs> Y'all better come get me. Anytime the identity giver is engaged in identity crisis or the identity giver is absent. No wonder the family engages in identity crisis. And so we reach out and we put other names on us. Why do you think that young man feels so special when he wears Jordans? Why do you think he feels so special when he wears Yeezys? Why do you think she feels so special when she wears Louis Vuitton? Why do you think she feels so special when she has red-bottom shoes on? We have all these names on us, all these names, all these brands on us. I was not given the proper identity, and so I'm looking for it because if I could wear these things, I could identify myself with the popular kids. I could identify myself with the cool women. I'm looking for identity. Oh, preach, Lord. I'm looking for identity. The war has always been and will always be over the man. And it was always the agenda, the syllabus of heaven for that man to be the identity giver. Because the man, I got to have a life of worship. Because worship is married to assignment and assignment is married to identity. Did y'all hear what I just said? I'm trying to help you. Worship. Worship. Is married to assignment. And assignment is married to identity. Let's say it backwards. If I don't know my identity, I won't be able to know my assignments. And the reason I don't know my assignment is because I don't worship. You telling me you're going to spend a lot of time with the king of glory? You are constantly in his face, basking in his presence, submerging yourself in his presence. You're going, to spend un- you're going to spend uninterrupted time with the creator, and he's not going to reveal to you why you've been created? Worship is married to assignment, and assignment is married to identity. I want to show you this in the text. I want to show you this. Look at this. Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, it says, And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him, his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and, what's that word, worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servants? Theologians have argued back and forth about this. Was this an angel or was this what we talked about in the tribe Me series? A theophany. This is God God before Jesus ever came on the scene, before the virgin birth, right? But I want you to see this. He runs into God. He has an encounter. He begins to worship. Then, after he worships, he's given his assignment. And now that I'm given my assignment, I know my identity. This is so good. I have an encounter with God, and so I worship him. What is worship? Worship expresses worship, and worship is to acknowledge deity. So, I begin to worship God. And I said, okay, what is your assignment? You're going to go conquer Jericho. So now my identity is Joshua. I'm a conqueror. (laughs) Because worship is married to assignment, and assignment is married to identity. I'm going to keep going. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar. What is an altar for? Worship. He built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. So he has an encounter with God. He begins to worship God. And now he has an identity. I'm Abraham, father of many nations. I'm going to keep going. John chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And what does your Bible say? And he worshiped him. Worshiped him. Had an encounter. At first, I couldn't walk. I met Jesus. I encountered Jesus. I give him worship. You know what my assignment now is? My assignment is to tell others about this miracle worker, and that is my identity. Because worship is married to assignment, and assignment is married to identity. Now, this one probably going to be a curveball for you because it was a curveball for me, until the Lord broke this down to me. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains. And because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles were broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him and always night and day He was in the mountains and the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and what's that word? Worshiped. What? Demons? (laughs) Worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. You have to check out Familiar Spirits for, other, for me to really, like, deal with this. But I want you to check this out. It's obvious this man didn't really have control over himself. This is the man who has a legions, legions of demons on the inside of him. Once Jesus cast the demons out, they went to a herd of pigs. The pigs didn't want to be didn't want to be possessed either, so they drowned themselves. That's crazy. The pigs couldn't handle what this man had been dealing with for years because demons look for hosts, but this is what I want you to see. When the demons saw Jesus, they ran and worshiped him. How was demons running and worship? But you don't worship And I'm like, how in the world do demons worship? But you gotta remember, worship is to acknowledge deity. So the demons were like, okay, the Son of God has just come to our region. The Son of God has just came on this side. The Son of God is over here. We have to acknowledge who he is. Even though everything in me desires evil, I have to acknowledge you are the Son of God. I have to acknowledge that you are the most high. Now, if demons can run and worship, how much more should the sons and daughters of God have a worship life? <sighs> worship is to express worship and to acknowledge deity see for the believer worship is like our inward will on the inside it's it's like our inward will and so what the devil wants to do is he wants to damn our will he he wants to have some blockage He wants to have some boulder. He wanted to have some type of hindrance so that we do not have a worship life and we don't have that internal reservoir because we're going to need it when we hit dry places. (sighs) This is so good. He knows that we're going to need it when we hit dry places because he knows that worship is that fountain. Worship is that fountain. So if I could damn that worship, if I could damn that fountain with anxiety with distractions, with counterfeits, with rage, with all this type of things, then they won't be able to glean in from the inside. See, it doesn't matter how saved you are. It doesn't matter how great your calling is, whether you love the Lord or you don't love the Lord. All of us will eventually hit a dry season. Yes, sir. All of us will eventually hit a season like 2020. What's going on? (laughs) What's going on? We all... We'll eventually hit a season where God, what's going on? What are you doing? I don't like this, but this is the power of a man who knows how to worship because men are wired to be leaders. And when we hit hard seasons, difficult seasons, COVID seasons, coronavirus seasons, I may not know where to go, but you best believe I know what to do. I know what to do. I have this reservoir on the inside of me, and the enemy knows the person who can tap in can break out. Just because it's bad all around me, it does not affect my worship. See, you have to understand this. Please, guys, you have to understand this. Worship. The psalmist says, magnify the Lord with me. What is he saying? When you magnify, this means to make big. When you are surrounded by problems, that's when you command your soul to magnify the Lord. I'm not saying worship is going to take away your problems. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying worship is going to affect the problem size it's going to affect the problem size. You know why? Because worship invokes God. Praise invokes God. He inhabits the praises of his people. You know why I believe when Paul and Silas were in jail and they began to worship and praise at midnight, there was a great earthquake? It's because the prison cell was too small for God to fit. God was saying, you call me up in here, you know I inhabit the praises of my people, and then your men inhabiting my praise, and don't judge anybody because sometimes your worship and your praise has a locksmith personality. It has a locksmith personality. You came here bound, but if you stay close enough to me, you came here confused, but if you stay close enough to me, everybody in the whole prison, their chains were broken and everybody's sails broke off, not because they were worshiping, but worship creates an atmosphere of freedom. Worship creates an atmosphere for stuff to break. This is why it's powerful for a man to be a worshiper because stuff breaks in my house, stuff breaks in my community, stuff breaks in my home, stuff breaks off my blood. Line because I'm a man who worships I'm not saying it's gonna take away your problems but I am saying it's gonna affect the problem size a lot of us the reason you're so intimidated is because you're standing in the presence of your problem oh but I dare you to worship because if you worship it's gonna bring your problem in God's presence And then when you begin to see how big God is compared to how small your problem is, you'll start to ask yourself, why am I really tripping? My problem is still here, but my God is bigger. See, I think we have a lot of cinema Christians. (laughs) You kind of can't help it now. You got to watch me. But before COVID, when we had collective worship, there were a lot of cinema Christians. And I believe there are several reasons why. Some cinema Christians, they're new to the faith. They don't really know how to worship yet. So they just need to be taught, trained, discipled, a small group, something like that. But then there are other cinema Christians. They have to go through something for their will to be activated. Because crisis reveals who Christ is. (sighs) Huh. Word play, but with the word "I don't play. Crisis. Reveals who Christ is, and you really don't know who Christ is sometimes until you until you experience a crisis. But I believe there's other people watching me on the night where you're like, you know what? My worship is not just a well; it is a geyser. It just spews out of me. I don't need to have some worship leader tell me lift your hands and give God some praise and give God some glory. A lot of us didn't even recognize 2020 is a year of exposing. Not only is it exposing hearts, not only is it exposing undercover (laughs) racists, it's also exposing spiritual depth. You didn't know you were a communal worshiper until you could no longer have community, did you? Yeah. Yeah, the fact that you can't join with the community, you haven't worshipped since the last time y'all came together. It's exposing you've allowed your prayer closet to get cobwebs and your Bible to become dusty because I only opened it when I was in the house because you were a communal worshiper. As long as I got community, I'm great. I worship as long as everybody else worships. As long as the band says, lift your hands, I'm worshiping. But God's saying, I want you to be a closet worshiper. I I I want you in your secret place. I don't know who I'm talking to, but there's something about that secret place. There's something about that time when it's just you and God, and you're not worried about what time it is. You're not worried about when you got to wake up. You're not worried about how long you've been here. You just get lost in his presence. And when you're in his presence, everything begins to change. You know why you're so moody? You don't worship. You know why you're so depressed? You don't worship. You know why you wake up with a bad attitude? You don't worship. You know why you're so horny? You don't worship. I'm not saying it's going to take away your human nature, but I am saying it's going to help you have control. I understand that we have a sex drive, but the Holy Spirit is the brakes. Somebody say worship. See, I, I don't want us to confuse this. There's a difference in good men and kingdom men, okay? First thing, good men have accessories. (laughs) Kingdom men have attachments, all right? Let me show you this in the Bible. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 8, and then I'm going to hop down to verse 18. Good men have accessories. Kingdom men have attachments. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8 says, but Noah... Found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay. Somebody say favor. Okay. Now look at verse 18. It says, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Hold on. Wait a minute. Let us put some exegesis in it. I didn't see anywhere in verse 8 where it says Noah and his family found favor. It said, Noah found favor. See, but when you have kingdom men who are in place, you get my attachment. Because I have favor, everybody has favor. See, a lot of us, we're so messed up because we don't understand how God operates. God doesn't give you arcs. He gives you blueprints. We're looking for God to give us a way out. He said, no, you build it. You build it. Good men, accessories. Kingdom men, attachment. Number two, good men are present. They are. They'll be there, possibly in the home, you know, may show up to the game. Good men are present. Kingdom men are rooted. Yeah, it's a difference. Kingdom men, we are rooted and grounded in truth. I'm not saying that he's perfect. I'm not saying that he's Jesus Jr. I'm not saying that he's Paul Jr. I'm not saying that he's perfect. I'm saying that storms will come. And that, and that he is human, but the difference with the kingdom man is God has built him to be like a palm tree. Yes, stuff happens and he bends, but he doesn't break. Stuff happens where he kind of wobbling a little bit. He got his little dance a little bit. He a little suspect right now, but he's always gonna bounce back. He's always gonna bounce back. No matter how bad the hurricane could be, he might even do a matrix on y'all boys. But he's always gonna bounce back because God has given him resiliency. Kingdom men are rooted. Now I know somebody's probably watching this message saying, "Uh uh, I disagree." I know a kingdom man who stepped out on his wife. Uh uh-uh, uh, I disagree, Jay. I know a kingdom man who still cursed people out. I want you to understand two things. First of all we are not the finished product but we are a work in progress that's the first thing and the second thing is just because they rock the hashtag doesn't mean they're the brand Just because somebody got God in their bio doesn't mean they have God in their life. And a lot of us have got confused because we're saying that there are kingdom men. But I believe the enemy has a breed of men who rock the label kingdom men. Because there are a lot of women who rock the label Proverbs 31 woman. But as long as they have this title, if there's ever a man who want to play a little bit on the down low. If you want to, okay, y'all not ready. (laughs) Yeah, there's still some stuff in you. And there's still some stuff in him. And so, like, yeah, I know a lot of men who do this. You do it, too. I think the difference between a lot of us is we try to blast other people. We turn into a judge when we know somebody's flaw, but, oop, we turn into a lawyer when we know theirs. All right. Y'all wanted this. Okay. Good men are present. Kingdom men are rooted. Number three, kingdom men, good men communicate. Maybe not in the best way, but they will communicate. Kingdom men articulate. Kingdom men articulate. I provide you with clarity. And not only do kingdom men articulate, they're also oracles. God speaks through them. Can I talk to my sisters for a second? You want to be able to have a pastor, leader, brother. It doesn't have to be relationship. I'm not talking about just relationships. But I want to be surrounded by somebody who hears heaven. Because it's dangerous when a man leads off his logic versus his encounter. I need somebody who leads from an encounter. Rather, that's a pastor, a big brother, a mentor, a coach, a husband. I need to make sure that they have had an encounter because you got to remember God's original agenda for the man was for him to be one who extends identity. And it's dangerous when you have somebody extending you identity and they don't even know who they are. All right. Number four, good men protect Kingdom men, cover. Good men know how to fight stuff off you. Kingdom men make sure stuff can't even find you. (laughs) Yeah, good men know how to fight naturally. Kingdom men know how to fight spiritually. This man was dealing with demons. A good man would have just been able to fight him off and try to put some shackles on him. Kingdom men will get the legion out of him. Okay, all right. Good men take responsibility. They do. But kingdom men lay their life down. I lay my life down. Listen. Love like Christ loved the church. Gave himself up for his bride. No greater love than this, than he who lays down his life for a friend. Kingdom men model the king. I lay my life down. I lay my life down. I want to end with this acronym. I hope it's good for you. I just felt the need to talk about this because I believe there is a famine of men who worship. There's nothing weak. There's nothing feminine. There's nothing sissy about it. We need more worshipers because worship is married to your assignment and your assignment is married to your identity. Let's look at this. First, W, worship. Why do we worship? Because he's worthy. He's worthy. I won't know my worth if I don't know he's worthy. Me knowing he's worthy helps me discover my worth. When I discover I'm a man of the king, when somebody doesn't want me, I don't feel as though I need to now reduce my rate. I don't feel as though now I need to be on the clearance rack because they didn't like me. They probably couldn't afford me. They probably couldn't afford me because when you know he's worthy, he reveals to you your worth. A lot of us are crying over people who wanted you at a cheap rate. But God is saying, listen, you're worth more than that. Worthy, okay? Worship, I worship because He's worthy. Number two, I worship out of obedience. Obedience, depending on the translation, the first time you see the word worship in the Bible is in the context of of when Abraham was taking his son to sacrifice. He said, I'm taking the boy over yonder so that we may worship. And Abraham was exemplifying obedience and following God's instructions. I worship out of obedience. The highest love language for God is for you to extend your obedience. And obedience opens doors that you never have to knock on. Okay? Obedience. Obedience. I also worship because worship regulates. If you're having a bad day, you're having a bad mood, something is getting on your nerves, why don't you try to worship? That's not old school. That's not for our grandma and them. That's not for older people. This is for everybody who is a Christ follower. Try to worship. And what is worship? is thanking God for who he is. Worship is, I'm expressing worship. Worship is acknowledging deity. If you just begin to start thanking God for who he is, thank you for being a healer. Thank you for being a provider. Thank you for being a deliverer. Thank you, God, that I didn't get caught that one time. A lot of us are tripping about the people who talked, but we need to be thanking God for the mouths that he kept closed. closed I'm not even gonna bother that all right (laughs) next worship is surrender surrender this you know why we do this because it's saying I'm not trying to resist arrest God arrest my heart arrest my emotions arrest my will arrest my cravings arrest my desire I'm not fighting I surrender worship is surrender next worship is humility It's saying, God, without you, I'm going to wreck my life, so be my compass. Worship is humility. I worship is intimacy. Intimacy. In-to-me-see. God, in-to-me-see. There's all this stuff in me, God. There's all this stuff I don't like about me. There's all this stuff I want to give to you. All this stuff that you have for me, God, I want to trust you. I want to love you. I want to embrace your will, God. So I have to be intimate. Now, here's the crazy thing. If you keep on getting intimate, you're going to end up pregnant. He's going to put something on the inside of you. And then now that it's on the inside of you, it begins to grow. And then once it begins to grow, everybody can see your baby bump. They can see your baby bump of purpose, your baby bump of passion, and that pregnancy gets you to walk different eventually because now I'm catering to what's on the inside of me. And eventually life comes with, con- with contractions and then this is when you're going to have to push because God wants you to give birth to something and you labor in prayer. Lastly, presence. 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 I can't speak for anybody else, but I want the presence of God. When I'm up here, getting the honor to be God's spokesman, I want his presence. I will look like a babbling idiot without the Lord. I want his presence. I want his presence. I want his presence. My son, when he was younger, if I walked out the room, he would just cry, just cry, cry, cry. I mean, he would almost break his neck. He'd be sitting there eating his little, you know, uh, grapes or whatever. He'd be sitting there. And, I mean, when I walk by, he looks. If I'm out the room, he's going to, like, ah, 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 When I walk in the room, he's like, you yeah, like, you don't want nothing. <laughs> you don't want nothing. And I recognize my son is saying, Daddy, I just want to know you're here. I just want your presence. Don't leave me. Take me with you. Pick me up carry me whatever room you go in I want to go in wherever you don't want me to go I don't want to go God lead me and guide me now I understand what the Bible says unless we're like a child we can't inherit the kingdom of God so God help us understand the most powerful thing that we could do is worship worship expresses worship. worship expresses and acknowledges deity and worship God we want to invoke your presence. Forgive us for having dusty Bibles and cobweb prayer closets. Let this message be the type of message, God, when once they log off, they fall to their knees and worship. Demons could run to you and acknowledge who you are. Surely sons and daughters could acknowledge who you are. And I'm praying, God, that you rise up your priest, you rise up your lions, you rise up your kings, so that we. We could be kingdom men that could extend the identity to our family, which will have your image in the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.